Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the John Newton wrote that song. Um, He also wrote the song that was uh, in the video that we watched. I don't believe it was originally to that tune. It's been put to new music, but the lyrics uh, were written by by John Newton. Newton lived in the mid-1700s. He was born to a Christian mother who died when he was seven years old. And then he went out to sea with his father, And uh, by the time he was an adult, he became a captain of a slave ship. And uh, at some point, he was actually even kidnapped and made into a slave himself. And when he was rescued, um, he made some kind of a signal on the shore. and And a boat saw him, and they came and they rescued him. And while, when they were in the middle of the rescue, there was a storm on the, on the way back. And during the midst of this storm, the, the winds were blowing and the storm was about to overtake the ship that he was in. And he cried out, Lord, have mercy. And then he said, mercy? Mercy? What mercy could there be for me? He was broken because of his sin. He, he knew he had been a slave trader. He had been a, a foul, man, foul man. He knew that he was a wretch. That was the man who wrote Amazing Grace, or one of our most beloved songs. But he did find that mercy. That mercy that he thought he was way beyond. And he was afraid in the, in the bottom of the ship there. He was afraid. But uh, the so, words of the song Amazing Grace said, was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Let's look at Matthew chapter 14. And we'll be in verse um, 22 to begin with. 
Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your grace, your amazing grace that can save wretches like us. And Father, that you can cause our hearts to fear and relieve our fears. Father, I pray that we would hear your word this morning. Speak to us through your word. Give us ears that we can hear and eyes that we can see. Father, help me, enable me to speak your word. I need your mercy this moment. And I might boldly proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And if you remember, before that, he had also heard the news that, that Herod had killed John the Baptist. You know, Jesus was trying to get away to be alone, and he went to the other side of the lake to be alone, but the, the people all went around the lake on foot, and they met him on the other side, and he could not get away from the crowds. But he had compassion on them, and he fed the 5,000. But now, the end of that day had come, And he sends the disciples across to the other side where he was going to meet them. And while he's sending the disciples across on a boat, he stays there and dismisses all the people and sends them away. And he goes up on the mountain to pray. It's probably been a very long day for him. He's been serving in ministry, having compassion. He's... he's, uh, probably tired because he was fully man as well as fully God. And he goes up on the mountain to pray, to be alone. 
to recharge. Like what we would want to do if we were weary from, from all the work, maybe after vacation Bible school, right, Susie? Well, while he's up praying, a storm begins to gather over the lake, over the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are in the boat, and the boat is going back and forth and back and forth, and they feel like maybe it's going to capsize. And the wind is going, and all of a sudden, they look out and they see somebody out on the water. What would you think? What would you think if you were out on a stormy ship somewhere out in the middle of a lake and you saw somebody, look like somebody walking toward your boat? Probably think the same thing as the disciples. It's a ghost! But no, it was Jesus. The man who made the water and the land. The same one who flung the stars into space. The same one who created every living organism from the smallest amoeba to the giant whales that are in the ocean. The same one who made all living things. The same one who made human beings in his own image. This man, Jesus the Son of God, was walking on the water out to His disciples on the boat. He saw that they were afraid, and He says a very familiar statement that we read throughout the Scriptures. Take courage. And then He says, It is I. This English translation may be a little bit misleading. It is I. Is literally, I am. Maybe a reference back to Mount Sinai when, G, when the Lord re- reveals His name to Moses. I am. And Jesus speaks this, I am, as He walks out on the water. And the disciples, they see Him. And we get a little bit of a glimpse just into Peter himself. Peter was probably the closest disciple to Jesus. Of all the disciples, he seemed to be the one that Jesus had the closest relationship. Although, when you read John, John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. But Peter, he's bold sometimes, isn't he? He's bold You know, he was bold whenever he said um, that that he would he would die with Jesus. He would never deny Jesus. And you know, he he didn't get that one right, did he? But here he's bold again. And he says, If it's you, compel me, command me to come out onto the water with you, and, and I'll come. Jesus commands him. He says, come, come, come out onto the water. And Peter, with a little bit of faith, he steps out of the boat. How many of us would have done that? We know water. We know its scientific properties. We've had science class in elementary school or high school. We know that water is not something that you can walk on. 
Would we have had the faith that Peter had? Would we have taken a step out of that boat? But Peter takes a step out. And he begins to walk on the water with Jesus. Jesus, the one who made the water, the one who gave Peter faith, gives him enough faith. And he walks out on the water. This is looking pretty amazing, right? Well, we could just end the story right here and it would be amazing. But it doesn't end here. Peter, he looks around. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, which we are sometimes prone to do. As the song we sang this morning, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to see the wind. We don't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. He saw the wind and it began to scare him. He began to make him frightened again and he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. But even in the midst of his sinking, he had enough faith to cry out in the words of Psalm 69 that Addie read, Lord, save me. Save me! I'm sinking. The water is about to choke me. It's up to my neck. Would you save me? Peter cries out. Jesus stretches down his hand. He grabs Peter by the hand. He pulls him up. And they walk together to the boat. They get in. We see here in the last verses, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say no faith, but little faith. And then he says, and then it says, And those who were in the boat worshiped him, they worshiped Jesus. Who is worthy of worship? Does anybody, do the people who are in the Bible, who are doing God's will, worship anyone other than God? No! It's the idol worshipers that worship other entities besides God. But the people who were in the boat, the disciples there in the boat, they worshiped Jesus. This shows the disciples, even before the cross, they worshipped Jesus. They understood that He was God Himself. And they said these words, Truly, You are the Son of God. We see those words again echoed by the centurion who stands at the foot of the cross. He says, Truly, this man was the Son of God. What are we supposed to do with a text like this? What does this text call us to do? There are two things that I think that we see from this text. First of all, we see see that even in our greatest faith, even in our greatest efforts, we are still flawed. We are still not all there that we need to be. Our greatest efforts are still 
tainted by sin. And our greatest faith is still tainted by doubt. We are all like Peter. When Jesus saves us, He gives us enough faith. He gives us a little bit of faith. He gives us enough faith that we can put our faith in Jesus and cry out, Lord, save me! He gives us that. And we are saved because of that little bit of faith. But our own working up our own faith, our own works, our own efforts, all the things we do for church, none of it is enough to save us. None of it can be perfect. It's only by doing what Peter did whenever he was sinking and almost to drown, but crying out, Lord, save me. We don't put any confidence in ourselves. We don't put any confidence in our own faith, our own abilities, our own works. We put every ounce of faith in Jesus, the one who's able to save. The second thing we can see from this text is that Jesus is God. He is amazing. He is wondrous. He is glorious. When we see a text like this, it ought to cause us to do what the disciples did inside the boat. It ought to cause us to lie down and worship Him. We see this story about a story that actually happened in history. Jesus, this man who was born of a virgin lived a sinless life, walked three years among men, disciples teaching them. This man, who looked no different than you or I, held the prerogatives of God Himself. Only God, the One who made the land and the seas, can do what Jesus did here. Only God can step out on the water like Jesus was doing there. Only God can say, peace be still, and the waves and the wind are calm and still. When we read this text, what does it demand of us? It demands that we take the posture of Peter and say, Lord, save me! And it demands that we fall down on our knees and we worship Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. Worship is the most important thing that we do as a church Now some might say missions is. Evangelism is. Some might say that. And it's almost true. It is almost true. But missions and evangelism serves a greater purpose. It serves worship. If we don't evangelize, then there will not be worshipers. Or I'll say it like John Piper says it in his book, um, Let the Nations Be Glad. 
the supremacy of God in worship, in, in missions. He says, wor- missions exist because worship doesn't. Why do we do missions? Why do we do evangelism? Because there are people in this world who are not worshipers of God, the true God. They're not, when they, when they, they don't know about this great Savior who walked on the water and who we should bow down before and proclaim His greatness and His glory. They don't know. So we go with the message of Jesus crucified, buried, and risen again. We go with this message to serve the purpose of worship. We are creating, God is creating worshipers as we go with this message. We will do evangelism and missions throughout this life that we live here until we die or until Jesus comes back. But we will worship every Sunday and every day of our lives and we will worship for eons and eons and eons. Forever and ever and ever. We will stand at the foot of the Lamb that was slain in heaven forever crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We will worship forever at His feet. And when we go and we proclaim the message of the Savior who walked on water and calmed the sea, we proclaim the message that brings people into this worship. We meet here every Sunday to worship. That is our number one priority, to worship. And we can't come to Him unclean. He wants clean vessels. You know, we can't clean ourselves. We can't make ourselves right. The only way that we can worship Him is by crying out, Lord, save me like Peter. We can't muster up enough faith on our own. All that we can do on our own will just be sinking down like We can be clean, and we are clean if we have placed our faith in Jesus and we throw ourselves on Him alone. His blood has covered us. He has made us clean and pure, and we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning, and we, when we take this bread and this grape juice, we do so remembering that it's His blood that makes us clean, that makes us whiter than snow, that makes us worthy to be able to come here and partake in that supper as we worship Him. That is a reminder. If you have come here today and you think, oh, I'm such a sinner 
How can I possibly partake in the Lord's Supper with what I've done this week? Let me tell you, brother or sister, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have forsaken what you have done, even this week, He sees you covered by His blood. As we take of the Lord's Supper, we also remember a warning. There is this warning in 1 Corinthians 14 that we're not to take unworthily. Now I've already said, if we have trusted in Jesus, He has made us clean. He has made us worthy. If you have not trusted in Christ, don't let, let, let it pass. Don't partake in the meal that we're about to partake in. Let it pass. If you are also, if you are living in disobedience that you refuse to give up, if the, you have something against a brother or a sister, if you have some kind of a grudge against someone and you are refusing to hold on, to let go of that, just holding on to it, nursing that grudge, let the cup pass by. This meal that we're going to partake in very soon is for all believers. But if you are holding on to sin and refusing it, there's something wrong. Refusing to let go of that. Refusing to repent. The, nat- the inclination of a believer's heart is to repent. It's to turn away from our sin, to reject it, to say, I don't want to do that anymore. But to hold on to it, there's something wrong. We must get that right first. Jesus said that if you go to the altar to present a gift before God, and you there remember something you have against your brother, leave the gift there. Go and make it right first, and then come back. So, maybe as we sing our closing hymn, if you do have something against a brother or sister, and they're here, present. Go to them before we partake of the meal. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.